I am Keaton. And I'm Laura. And we're so glad you're here with us listening to Witness. We are honored, I think is the right thing to say. We are honored to bring you a conversation uh, with our friend Faraha today. We've been exploring what it means to be with each other through hearing each other's stories and telling each other's stories. Um, we're not sure if witness is a word, but we believe it should be one because it's one that we we know it when we experience it, the beauty of it. And uh, Faraha's story has everyone we've done is. It's, it's loaded with uh, twists and turns and emotions and beauty and uh, terror and all the things that it means to be a person. Uh, she is a longtime friend of mine. She's a professor at Sinclair. She is the wife to Scott, the mother to both Aurora and Evan. Uh, Faraha is one of these people who she is known all over Dayton. You can't really go very far in Dayton without running into somebody who knows her. Uh, she's also a poet all over the city. Uh, Keaton, you actually, you knew Evan, right? We're going to talk about the death of Faraha's son, Evan. Yes, Evan um, did overlap with my circles a bit in high school and he, we took driver's ed together and I just want, Faraha, I want you to know that thanks to you sharing this story, he just really grew in his complexity and nuance. And I learned a lot of things about Evan in this story and you're completely right about him just really drawing people towards him. I mean, it seems like it's really hard to not know Evan if you grew up in this area. Yeah. One of the things I love about Faraha has a, has a parent is just her, uh, she's a truth teller no matter what, right? So she's going to tell you the full story of who her son was. And you're going to hear how much she cares about the full story of her life being told too. One of the things I kept thinking as I was preparing to talk to her and as we were going through the conversation is just the difficulty of losing somebody who's on their way to becoming, you know, like what it means that they get kind of stalled out at a certain age or at a certain stage of life that, uh, that you don't, you, um, you just have to imagine what Evan could have done with his life. And, uh, I think as you, as you get to know Evan through this interview, you're going to wish he got more years here too. So here's our friend Faraha's story. Uh, we hope you stick around cause there is kind of a, almost like a surprise ending to Evan's life that you'll be glad you got to hear today. So in most of my conversations, I start light, but you are not necessarily a, a like warm up kind of person. You you go deep pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So let's just get into Evan's life story. Tell us about your son, Evan. Okay. Evan, Evan Ray Henry Singleton. His name, his middle name, Ray, R E. Y, R-E-Y, not R-A-Y. I named him Ray because in my head, um, that word means king in Spanish. And I don't know. I just thought this boy was going to be like royalty, just on top of the world, all that good stuff. This sounds so cliche. Everybody says it's about their children, but I swear when he came in a room, everybody knew he was in the room. He was about four years old. And one of my colleagues met Evan. He's very talkative. He could talk to anyone from very young. And my colleague said, um, you know, you're going to need to teach this one 
to use his powers for good. <laughs> and basically, you know, he was saying, wow, this this kid is a leader. He's charismatic. It can go any direction, <laughs> you know, in terms of what he's like. And um, pretty much that's how life was with Evan. Um, when I have this image in my mind of him being elementary school age and um, riding his bicycle. And I'm running to keep up, but I can't. He's he's just fast. He was athletic from very little, and he's just going, 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 and I'm running, running, running. And that's kind of how I felt parenting Evan. It was always me trying to keep up with this like burst of energy, this burst of light. In some ways he was just like me, but like concentrated. <laughs> <laughs> like I like to dance and have a good time and be out with folks and learn about people and ask questions and do some things that are that I shouldn't be doing. And he liked all of that like a thousand times more. <laughs> So keeping up with him was, it, it was, it was not easy. Um, was that through every stage, like has a little kid, has a teenager, every, every stage? Every stage. Ev- literally, when he was in the womb, they initially couldn't get an ultrasound because he kept moving and moving and moving and moving in the womb. And that's kind of how I felt his whole life. Um, that as a teenager uh, that'll drive a parent crazy like there are times where I was just like this boy I'm, I don't know what to do with him uh, when he was 22 he was starting to come out of the let me just do something to be rebellious you know, he was coming out of that. And I was really super proud of him. I was so proud of him. Um, I was proud of how he related to people. Um, I was proud of how he made mistakes, but he just never gave up on himself thinking, all right, well, I, I can turn this around. I can do better. He never gave up on himself. He was also super loyal, like very, very loyal. Um, he loved his dad, even though he and his biological dad, um, you know, didn't get to see each other very much. And Evan felt like he didn't get from his dad what he needed growing up. Um but like a couple weeks before Evan died, he said to me, he's like, Mom, I really, I really want to know my dad better and I want to talk to him. I'm afraid, he said, I'm afraid my dad's going to die and I'm not going to get to talk to him again. Hmm. And <clears throat> ironically, the last day that Evan was alive, he was able to connect with his dad and to mm. talk to his dad that day. 
I was like, wow. He was super loyal. People he loved, he loved you. He loved you really, really hard. His friends. I was going to say, you've had, you have so many stories of his friends, you know, just caring so much about him because he showed them so much love. Yeah. yeah. His friends, my husband um, has said this, um, that his, Evan's friends loved him in ways that we couldn't love him and um, accepted parts of him that we didn't either just didn't understand because we're old and we think you should be doing everything this way and they weren't <laughs> um, judgmental in that way. But um, he had he had some really good friends and a lot of different friends. To this day, it's been five years. I meet people and they're like, oh, you don't know me, but I was Evan's friend. Mm. I'm like, how many people are saying I'm Evan's friend? And how did you know him? Oh, I knew him from this class. Oh, I knew him from this party. Oh, I met him online, you know. Just all these many different ways that he got to know people. Yeah, it sounds like they have just affirmed this thing you saw about him, that he was somebody people paid attention to in a room, right? That he was. if they had one experience with him, he made an impression. Yeah. Uh, so you gave away a little bit that Evan died in an accident when he was, was he 22? Is that? He was 22. And there's so much to dying at that age specifically because he was on his way to being some version of himself, you know. Um, I wonder if you could tell us about that night, right? He was in a car accident. Mm -hmm. uh, you got the very worst scenario that I think a parent could imagine, which is to suddenly lose a child. Um, yeah. So tell us about that night if you're, if you're up for it. Yeah, I can. Um, so that night, it, it was summer, it was July, mid-July. And middle of the night, probably about one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock, I don't know. The middle of the night and there's a bam, bam, bam on my door. And um, I'm wrapped in a blanket, barely dressed. I look out, it's the police. I crack the door open and I'm kind of nonchalant about it. This sounds weird, but I was like, yes. And in my head, I was like, Evan's done something. What is it? What happened? And, uh, you know, because Evan, he, he lived on the edge a little bit. And the officer says, um, well, there's been an accident in a car that's registered to your name. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is not anything I was expecting to hear. And I immediately said, wait one moment. And I closed the door. I ran up the steps. I wake up my husband. I tell him to go downstairs and talk to the police officer and get information. I'm throwing on my clothes so I can run, go get in the car, and go to wherever Evan is. So I'm told that he's at Kettering Hospital. And um, it was a really clear night. Like, I don't think there were clouds in the sky because you could see all the stars. And um, 
is that time of night when there's like nobody on the road going down far hills. There's nobody out there but me. And it reminded me a lot of the night that I had to go to the same hospital Kettering when my grandfather was passing away. And so as I'm going down, I think it's um, Southern Boulevard. I forget what the road is called. I'm just like, don't let this be um, a night that, you know, Evan doesn't make it through this night. When I got there, an officer, he, you know, comes out of the emergency room and he said, he, he says, you know, um, they'll let you in soon. I don't remember exactly, you know, my parents and my brother ended up being there with me in a waiting room. They didn't let me right in there. But I remember sitting by myself and just being very still and very calm and trying to keep it together. And my parents came and I was still and calm and trying to keep it together. And then a nurse comes in the room and she's like, Miss Henry, are you okay? And it was someone who had been one of my students mm. many years ago who knew my son when we were young, <laughs> when I was in my 20s and he was like three or four years old. And she was working in the emergency room when he was brought into the emergency room. And she had come up, she saw who he was, and then she came up to see if I was okay. And that's when I kind of just fell apart. Um, just the thought that, um, you know, the student that I, I cared about and had poured some energy into was there when my son was, um, you know, very hurt and was there using her skills to help him. I don't know. It just made me fall apart. But I'm going to make this long story short. Um, ultimately, the doctor's talking to me. He's saying things I don't understand. My mother's beside me, who was beside me when I gave birth to Evan. Mm -hmm. And they take us into the room, and they're trying to save him. So I'm watching these professionals work really, really hard to jump, start his heart, make him come back. And I'm doing kind of what you think a mother might do, like praying, God, please. You know, I'm just like, God, please. Please, God. And they don't stop. They keep going. They keep going. They keep going. And my mother, she looks at me and she says, he's gone, Enie. He's, they can't keep doing this. And then my dad comes in. If you've ever heard my dad pray, you feel like he definitely has God's ear. I've always felt that way. I have never heard the most sincere prayer in my life as I heard in that room 
with my dad at the foot of, of the bed, praying to God. And I was like, if God can't answer this prayer, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know. But Evan was gone. He was gone and they stopped and they left the room and they said, you can have a few minutes with him. And all I did was, you know, I held his hand, which his hands are a lot like mine. We both have long fingers. We both have long fingers. And I was holding his hand and I was just like, I just don't want to forget what his hands look like. He was a self-made musician like his dad. So play guitar, piano. And that was, I just, I was just in shock. I, you're telling me this hyper energetic, like athletic human being is gone. I, I couldn't. It doesn't make that. any sense. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. He looked really small though. He suddenly looked really small. And I remember him being, he looked very frail, which is not at all how I thought about him before that. Your husband shows up. It's settling into you that this is real. Um, and then within a day or two, you're planning services. Yeah. And I wonder... That's kind of where we're focusing some of these conversations is on those days after. We're like, what do you remember having any sense of what you needed in those days or what you wanted for his service? I remember you thinking about everybody else during those days. I was really worried for his friends. Yes. I was more worried for them than I was for myself at the time. I wanted them to hold on to life. I knew that he had friends who, oh, here's this person working on their master's degree in psychology, and they're just, you know, have all this bright future ahead of them. And I knew he had friends who were hanging on for dear life, just trying to make it, you know. He had all kinds of friends. So I was, everyone that I talked to was going to be involved in the service. Um, I told them, I said, we, we got to think about the young people. There'll be us adults there. We'll be fine. Um, so I, a dear friend of mine, um, he spoke about Evan, Fahim Curtis Kadir. Fahim is cool. He's cool. He's a cool guy. He's highly intelligent. Very intelligent guy. He's deeply spiritual. And there are things about him that remind me of Evan. Like, he's one of those people that he gets along with lots of different folks. And um, I was really happy that Fahim agreed to speak, even though it was really hard, um, because, you know, he gave this message of, remember, Evan was this bright light, this gift, and he was cheerful, and please take that from his life, you know, 
And I had a lot of young people who, whether they knew Fahim or not, they commented on his message afterward. And I didn't know um, if I would say anything or not. Because most days, the funeral was like five days, five or six days after he died. Um, I pretty much spent most of the time crying. <laughs> I cried so much. Our dog, at first, because it wasn't crying, it was wailing. Yeah. And the dog would come check on me. But then after a couple of days, the dog would walk away because it was like the dog couldn't even handle it anymore. Um, and so I said, I what I don't want to do is be wailing and crying. What my heart feels, which was I felt like a piece of my heart had been ripped out of my chest and yet I'm still alive. And I was like, I don't want them to see that. But so many of his friends came to the service. Like there were just so many people there. Filled the building. The building was filled. Yeah. I wasn't expecting. I didn't know who was going to be there. Yeah. So the place was filled. And on the day... The day of going to the funeral, I was very, um, I was actually very angry. I was very angry. Um, we're about to leave the house and uh, my wonderful sister-in-law, um, she's um, leading a prayer and um, other families are leading members of family were praying and in my head I was like I'm gonna need y'all to stop stop talking you're talking too much I have to get to the funeral home I'm not gonna be late I was like in my head I was just angry I was like come on hurry up with this praying stuff we got to get to the funeral yeah you may have been in survivor mode too like in that fight or flight I was and you were in fight I was in fight I yep. was I was angry I was angry I was very angry that morning and I had stayed up all night I couldn't concentrate on like I wanted these pictures cut out and put on a poster board in a certain way and it had to be the certain sure. way yeah, that makes sense <laughs> and everyone was tired and everyone went to sleep and I was like but I'm gonna stay and do this but I I couldn't do simple things and two friends showed up kind of, it was really late. They just showed up in my house and they were like, oh, we'll cut those for you. And they stayed up with me and they cut these pictures and put them on the poster board. Do they do it right? They did it right. <laughs> they Good. did it right. They did it right. You just recently went back and watched the service. What did you, did. what did you see in yourself and what did you hear in yourself that day? Yeah, I watched the service uh, for the first time and five years. I looked so calm and I looked really calm and together. And I, I'm just talking to the folks like, Hey friends, I'm glad you're here. And my eyes look a little bit insane. Like I, my eyes are kind of wide. 
Um, but I remember that day because there were so many people there and a bunch of people I had never met before and a bunch of them telling me things about Evan that I didn't know or ways that he helped them or these just things that made me feel great about his life that when I did decide to stand up and say some words to the audience that I felt an intense joy, like in, I can't even describe the joy. Like it was like, wow, I got to experience the birth of this person in all the moments of his life because he was with me all 22 years I got to see him pass away. I get, I didn't expect that morning. I was really mad. I did not expect that I was going to have joy, joy. I did not expect joy at all, but I, I felt, I think joy works that way. Like it is surprising. It is not the thing that you plan for mm -hmm. or that you try to have. It is the thing that shows up. And I, I also think it's, it's just defiant. Joy is kind of badass. Mm -hmm. It is going to go where you're not necessarily welcoming it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Now, because what I remember is you deciding to take a selfie with the crowd. Mm -hmm. Do you, was that a plan in your mind or was that something that in the moment you just That thought? was in the moment. That was in the moment because, uh, <laughs> and then it was weird, really weird. The month before he died, he was very philosophical about a lot of things. And um, one of his friends told me on the 4th of July, I thought that Evan was off with a bunch of people. He was with one person sitting in their backyard and they were watching fireworks as somebody else from another backyard. They were mm -hmm. shooting off. And his friend said, um, yeah, Evan said to me, the time of love is coming. The time of love is coming. And his friend was like, that sounded so weird. <laughs> and he said, Evan was really happy because he just felt like love was coming. Love was coming. And then the week before he died, we were talking about some things. And he was like, man, I just love. That's it, mom. Love. That's it. He took a lot of selfies. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. With a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. Some were hilarious. Him with Ralph, the dog, <laughs> in the mall, because he would take the dog places where dogs, not service dogs, just a regular dog is not supposed to be, <laughs> him and the dog. Um, but in the moment, I was like, Evan, Evan would take a selfie right now. Selfie was blurry, because I don't... I. I wasn't good at that. I've actually practiced a lot since then. I, I do more <laughs> selfies now. But um, yeah, it was blurry, but I was like, I have to get a selfie. I, rem I remember the, m the mood shift. I mean, that's one of the things I think is interesting about a, a funeral or a memorial service is it's one of the times where we kind of collectively get together and feel. Mm -hmm. And you can see, if you're the person up there talking, you could see people like going through the emotions with you. You can mm -hmm. see them. If you start to cry, they start to cry. If you mm -hmm. laugh, they laugh. Like they follow your lead. Like you're mm -hmm. unlike anything else, even more than a wedding or something that is a celebration. I feel like 
it's a collective mood experience. Mm-hmm. And so I remember feeling the room. There was a weight lifted when you did that, mm-hmm. whether it was for you or for them or for Evan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember feeling the mood lift mm-hmm. to that that joy. Yeah. Um, I wondered if we could talk a little bit because my starting point for this podcast was thinking about eulogies and thinking about the words we say when somebody dies and mm-hmm. you spend your life in words. You're a poet and a storyteller and you mm-hmm. teach students about words and I wonder what you have thought about the the words we try to find when somebody dies, mm-hmm. why that matters, why we why there's an open mic, why it's important for people to stand up and say something. Mm-hmm. You know, what have you thought about that specifically around Evan or in general? Yeah. The funny thing is is that um Right after Evan died, I, I couldn't really write. I would try to I would try to write words and they would be spelled wrong. One of the first things I tried to do the day Evan died was to write a few words. And if you look at those words, you can't read them. Hmm. They look like hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean your brain is damaged. In, it's wounded. And I didn't yeah. know that. I was just like, how is it this thing that's so important to me? And, you know, I kept a journal. Fourth grade is when I started keeping journals and writing. Here's what's happening in my life. The most important thing that's ever happened in my life, and I cannot put words on the page, his obituary. Someone wanted to write it. And I was like, I, I write. I will write. I will write my son's obituary. I couldn't write it. A friend of mine gave me words, really beautiful words. And I added a couple things to it. So I started to, um, like, I, I, I feel like words are very important. Um, they can change, they can make change. Um, in these sorts of situations, I feel like people need to be able to speak and say what they're thinking, what they're feeling. But I also came to find that um, I was not able to find the words to express what it was and is to not have Evan physically in my life anymore. I used to believe you could find the words to express anything. And um, especially the the first year I tried really hard. I wrote up I wrote a bunch of poems, a lot of poems. And at the end of that year, I did a poetry reading. And I still didn't feel like none of this is really capturing what it is. And I recently, um, since you had asked me to, you know, participate in the podcast, I went back and looked at just things that I wrote. And I found something that I wrote that I totally forgot about. And it was written a little over a year after Evan died. And basically it said... 
I want to write again. But if I start writing again, does that mean I'm over you? Mm. Does that mean I'm fine now? Do you find yourself able to talk about him with people? Do you find yourself wanting to say to people, this still matters? Like, this story is still my story? I talk about every every day in some way. And sometimes, like if it's someone who doesn't know me, really, and they don't know Evan's dead... But there's something that happened with Evan that's kind of connected to what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, well, my son, blah, 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 blah. Right. They don't know my son is gone. But he comes up in that way with people who knew Evan. I can just talk to him. They know the whole story. I can bring up things about him, and they're fine. Um, it's some other folks who they didn't necessarily know Evan or they aren't necessarily my close friends that they give me a pitying there's this pitying look like this feels so sorry for her mm -hmm. and I hate that pity look I can't stand it I'm like don't feel sorry for me I'm Evan's mom I, you don't have to feel sorry for me I I, I had him mm. for 22 years I'm, I'm very blessed so i found that, you know, it depends on the situation. Something may come up where I'm like, ooh, that connects to something that I'm thinking about related to Evan, but I may not say it. And in terms of writing, I, all I want to write about is Evan. I'm going to be honest with you. That's really all I want. I want to write about Evan. That's all I want to write about. But I, I know, I'm sure... I don't want people to look at me and only think, oh, there's the mom whose son died. <laughs> there's the mom whose son died. I'm so sorry for her. And yet, I'm the mom whose son, whose son died. Right. Yeah, you want people to acknowledge it, but, but maybe pay more attention to the strength mm -hmm. that you have from it than the, the sadness. About living. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much about living. And thinking about Evan's living and how he lived. You said you, I know when we talked a couple weeks ago, you said you were still sort of looking for specific words for him to kind of lay him down. And he, yeah. I wondered, you know, when I did, um, I did a, a sort of eulogy for my dad. And when he died, it was chaos because I was still taking care of my mom. And, you know, again, my brain was... Mm -hmm not functioning. And so what I did is I had made this list. Um, when I had moved back to Columbus to take care of my parents, I made two lists. One was ways to love my mom and one was ways to love my dad. Mm -hmm. And I just read that list at the eulogy mm -hmm. because it said something about who we were to each other. It said something about his character and almost just making the list freed me from trying to be creative, mm -hmm. from trying to make it sound beautiful. Mm -hmm. It freed me to just kind of present this. Um, and I don't know, I wonder if that could be like a warm-up exercise for you is some kind of list of, yeah. of Evan's life, something to just take the pressure off 
making it too beautiful right away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you do that with writing exercises all the time for people, I'm sure. It's like finding a way to ease into yeah. the thing. Um, yeah, that's true. The easing into and being okay with it not being the best thing you've ever written yeah. in your life. Like it feels like if I'm going to write about Evan. It has to be. It has to be the best thing I've yeah. ever written Ever, but I wonder, like, what if you tried to write a children's book about Evan? I actually, I've written little, little stories. Okay, I've written little stories about Evan that I had wanted to turn into a children's book. There we go. And that was fun because Evan has a son. Um, he has a son. I feel very. That's a whole other story. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we'd tell that or not, but that was a, story. a whole other deal. Yeah. Yeah. Evan did not know that he was going to have a son when he died. So nine months after he died, his son was born. His son was born. His son's birthday is three days after Evan's birthday. Mm. And this sounds crazy but one of the when when Evan was body was laying there in the hospital one of the first things I thought was I can't believe I'm not gonna have a grandchild from this boy like I was I was like I'm, I'm not gonna have a grandchild from him I don't this isn't right. That's one of the things I thought. Yeah, you had probably imagined that at some point yeah. in Evan's life, I'm sure. And then I had this belief that I had a grandchild. I just didn't know who it was or where he was or she was. And so I would post to Facebook almost daily pictures of Evan, um, things that showed how nice I am and what a good person I am because I thought if there's a girl out there who's scared and she's pregnant and mm. she's afraid to come to me, I need her to know that we are good people. I need her to know that. And my family, I talked about this so much that I believed that I had a grandchild that my family worried about me. Mm. They were worried about me. They were like, um, Evan's gone and now she's gone on this whole other bent of thinking she has a grandchild. And then when Evan's, um, what would have been his 23rd birthday came, I let the idea go because I said, it has been nine months if there's a girl out there, she would have, I, I think she would have come to me by now. And um, two weeks later, I got a message on Facebook with a picture of a baby hmm. who looked like a Henry. I was like, that is a Henry child. I had no doubt. Yeah. Um. The weird thing is that when I let go of the idea that I had a grandchild, I went into deep, deep despair, a deep despair. I had 
gone in my room and didn't come out of my room for three days and wasn't eating. And then I got this message with this beautiful baby. And um, so there I, you know, Evan at his services, I felt like this intense joy. And then I went into this deep sadness and I thought that I was never going to feel joy again. And then I found out that I was going to have a grandchild or I had a grandchild and I had this intense joy again. I was like, oh my gosh, I I cannot believe this incredible gift of a a human being, like a whole human being. What a gift. And, you know, I had friends who were like, well, don't get all excited yet. You know, do DNA tests or something. I said, <laughs> you don't understand. I already knew that I was supposed to have a grandchild <laughs> from Evan Ray Henry Singleton. Yeah, you you knew I in knew your body. It. Yeah. And it was true. And I remember we did go and do the DNA. And I said to um, mom, who she is, this, I couldn't ask for a better mother for my grandchild, incredible mother. I said to her, I was like, you know what? If it turns out that, you know, this baby is not blood related to me, your baby just taught me about joy again. So now I know that I can feel joy again and that I'm not stuck here. Cause I have met mm. many mothers and fathers who've lost their children and they are in despair for decades. Mm-hmm. They don't feel joy. They're bitter. They're angry. I do, you know, still experience, you know, some anger and some bitterness, but I, I try not to live there, but I know people that they live there. They live there. I was like, your baby just helped me. And it turns out that was my baby too. My grandson. And he has continued to bring that. Yeah, so I wrote little stories that I wanted to turn into um, children's book, but every children's story that I wrote had this tinge of sadness. <laughs> like a like, foreboding gonna, shadow. I'm over. like, I'm going to depress my grandchild. <laughs> I guess these children's stories are for me. So <laughs> I'm not, I think you can find a way. I think you find a way. We'll we'll revisit them. We'll revisit them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder. Just has a has a last question. You said you you've learned a lot about life from both Evan and from your grandchild, and mm-hmm. I wonder if you've thought about somebody someday is going to have to find the words for you. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about what you hope they say? <laughs> Whether it's official, like at the <laughs> mic or around the kitchen table, what do you hope people say about you someday, Laura? I'm laughing because I'm so controlling. I've started writing. Like, <laughs> you've eulogy. already got it. Written. I started writing. <laughs> I started writing things and I was like, you know what, at my services, I would like someone to press play on a video of me <laughs> telling you, hey, here's what you need to be thinking. No, just- <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Yeah. <sighs> I thought about that. Honestly, what made me think about it is my aunt Peggy passed away um, last summer and they she she could sing wonderfully soulfully and 
the church had, uh, you know, recording of her singing and they played that at her funeral. Mm. <gasps> and I was like, oh, my God, Aunt Peggy. Aunt Peggy. Yeah. To hear her voice yeah. was just well, there, amazing. There's so, something about voices, too. Yeah. Like, I tell everybody, record your people. Yeah. Get their voices down. Because you can have all the pictures in the world, but yeah. to hear someone's voice again really matters. Yeah. I don't have enough recordings of Evan's voice. That That's... A little bit sad for me. But in terms of what I want people to think about me, I mean, I'm just really hoping that someone will, uh, like, it, it'll have to be my daughter. Uh, just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's the stuff that you didn't know about my mom. <laughs> she really liked cuss words. <laughs> and she used, she used all the words, <laughs> all the good and bad words, all the words in the dictionary and outside of it. She used those. Just, I don't know, just somebody, I, I just hope that maybe the quirky things that I do, that people who know about them will say them out loud so that other people who are like, really? She did that? They'll get a laugh out of that. Um, I remember when my husband's grandmother passed away. <laughs> The whole family is um, in this room, you know, saying goodbye. And my husband, his sister and brother are standing toward the back. It's it's about time where you're going to take the casket and put it in the ground. And they started making a joke about their grandmother saying, you know, Grandma's probably right now saying, I got it. I got it. Meaning she's going to put her own <laughs> casket in because she was very, very self-sufficient. I mean, yeah. to the last, she was taking care of herself, doing yeah. that sort of thing. They're back there making jokes. They start laughing and other people are looking at them like those disrespectful <laughs> grandchildren. I'm hoping somebody is saying something disrespectful <laughs> and, about me and laughing at my services or around the table. I love that. That's what I hope for. Yeah. I've seen that. Like, I've had to do some funerals for folks where I didn't know them. And so I would get up and say something that they've all told me, and it's usually the good stuff. And then a family member will get up and say, but they could be a real son of a, you know? <laughs> and then everybody, there is this breath of, yes, that yes. is the truth. Yes. And, but that is still love. Yes. There is still love in remembering these quirks, these yeah. flaws. Like that is where some kind of richness, maybe that's also where joy is coming in, mm -hmm. right? That the joy is always despite. Mm -hmm. um, it's always defiant. So, so yeah, I love that that's your thought is just having the truth told. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope somebody will mention Evan. Yes. I hope they'll mention Evan. Well, that was going to be my, you know, let's say in some scenario, I outlive you and I, I stand up there, I would say something like, I do think, um, I know that you've changed the world for a lot of your students and a lot of people in Dayton and a lot of artists. And, you know, you can't really go anywhere in Dayton without hearing somebody who knows you <laughs> and who cares about you and has been shaped by you. And I do think that losing Evan and having the world watch you grieve a little bit, I'm sure has changed 
the trajectory of a lot of the people who were at his service and in his life. And uh, so I do think the world is different because you were Evan's mom. Mm. And so thank you for sharing his story with us. When someone we love dies, it can feel like we're trying to piece together a puzzle and we have missing pieces. Maybe other people hold some of those pieces. Maybe they have a story that we haven't heard. Maybe they have a picture we haven't seen. Sometimes they can just tell a story we haven't heard for a while, but one that we need to hear from somebody else. We need to hear our loved one's name come out of somebody else's mouth. It can be a gift that we give to people. Maybe you're holding the puzzle piece that somebody needs to to keep working on the mystery of who their loved one was and what was important to them. Evan's friends were able to do that for his family, to tell them the stories of what he was like when he was away from home and away from them. And they gave that back to his mom. Has they showed her pictures? Has they told her the stories? Has they passed along Evan quotes? Oh, one of Faraha and her son's favorite things to do together was to listen to Frank Ocean uh, he sings all about this feeling of missing someone, of them being a mystery, of what it's like to long for a person and not have them with you. Maybe today that's something you do. Give a spin to Frank Ocean's Godspeed and pass along stories of the people you've loved. Help us solve the mystery of each other. <laughs>